Awesome. Well, hey, thank guys, thanks for coming in. We're excited to have you both on. Uh, today we got Chad and Mike from Boss Advisors. Um, really appreciate you having here. We have a long, long working relationship together, but uh, just wanted to get you guys in today to talk a little bit more about what you guys do, what you specialize in, and hopefully pull some things out for the people listening. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having us, Scott. We appreciate you having us here. Yeah, definitely. So how'd you guys get started in the business? Well, I, I got started... Graduated from ASU. Um, it was actually Mike that got me my first job at uh, Ernst & Young. Um, called and was finishing up my master's, and I said, you know, reached out to a cousin who was Mike's cousin and said, hey, you need to talk to Mike. He's, he works at EY. And uh, got in c- touch with him, and there was an opening, and um, that's kind of how it started uh, from there. I was in one group. Mike was in the other group, but we were sitting basically next to each other, so we had a lot of fun while doing really boring stuff like taxes. Yeah, so I, I, I actually took a little bit, um, a different route to get to where we are now. Uh, I'm a CPA and a lawyer. Um, I started just bookkeeping for my dad's farm, and then my father-in-law's law firm um, ended up going to school for accounting, and then went to law school and uh, worked in law firms, worked in accounting firms, eventually decided I wanted to do both, and I, I never could, and so Jumped out on my own. Chad joined me about a year later, and and last year we were able to become certified as the state's first alternative business structure, which is a it's a type of law firm that's allowed to have lawyers share fees with non-lawyers. And so now we're actually a a, a hybrid type um, firm that we we kind of live at the intersection of where tax and law meet, and which is really great for businesses because we can offer everything under one roof. That's awesome. And from what I understand, companies usually had to go to multiple different places to get those services done, but you guys are some of the first approved to do both. Exactly. I, I, our clients don't have to tell their story twice, and we see issues from both angles. So I might have a conversation with someone about their business taxes, and they raise a couple of issues that I know that Mike can address. And I say, oh, you should go talk to Mike because he's going to be able to address some of these risk concerns that you would have from a legal perspective that a normal you know, accountant wouldn't normally pick up on. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think one of the biggest things, now that we have, we have um, 11, soon to be 12 on our team, and one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that it makes all of our professionals more well-rounded. Um, so our lawyers are working with tax planners every day, they, they start to pick it up and they start to get good at it. And our, our CPAs and our enrolled agents are working with lawyers every day. And so they start to understand the issues that you maybe wouldn't, wouldn't pick up if you hadn't gone to law school. Awesome. Little iron sharpens iron kind of deal. Sweet. Well, if, if people are reaching out to you guys, what do they, um, do, do either of you specialize in either part of the business? Is it kind of a, a little bit of a divide and conquer, although it's such a tight knit office? We've, we found that when Mike and I joined together, that one plus one equals three. Like, it would just beyond our own capacity, we could really grow. Um, with that being said, now that we've had added more to the team, we do have a specific practice areas that we work on. So, personally, I manage the, the tax and the accounting group, and then Mike is on the legal and consulting side. Yeah, and, and luckily, Chad uses a 10 key, so when he's doing math, obviously one plus one doesn't equal three, Chad, but... Fair we, enough. Yes. We have a little autocorrect <laughs> in the software somewhere. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, so we we get common questions all the time from people. So um, one of them right now, people have significantly increased equity in their homes. They're not quite sure what the next move is going to be. They're not quite sure uh, exactly where, um, where they're going to move that money or how to do it best. 
what can people know or what should they know about the capital gains when they sell a house? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's a, a couple of things that I would meet with a potential or a current client on if they're considering selling real estate. So one of them is what what is their long-term uh, view? And if they're wanting to sell it to cash out, then yeah, they're going to be paying uh, long-term gains, um, which is better than ordinary income tax. So long-term gains range anywhere from you know 10 to 20%. There's an additional tax on top of that called the um, net investment income tax, which is another 3.8%. Arizona adds their piece to it. So they, everyone adds in their layer to get a piece of the pie. But considering that ordinary income is taxed at 37%, and you could be paying 20%, people want to get that better tax treatment, which for any property, you have to hold it for at least a year to get that long-term gain. Okay. So prior to a year, there's some, some greater um, tax liability after a year generally can be in a lower range? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So under a year, it's ordinary income. After a year, it's long-term. Um, but there's also maybe they're wanting to roll into an, another property or maybe they're entering, um, wh- which then you could do like a 1031 uh, exchange, a like-kind exchange. Um, also, if they're nearing kind of retirement or potentially kind of the end of their life, we normally recommend that they continue to hold it and not gift it to uh, a child or um, someone else so that they're, uh, the people that inherit it could get stepped up, meaning uh, what's called stepped up basis, which means that they're when they inherit it, they're going to get the fair market value at the date that the person passes away and not necessarily what they bought it for 30, 40 years ago. Wow, incredible. Yeah. Not something people think about typically, not something you're planning for. No, and that's something that's awesome too, that we have a estate planning attorney in-house as well. And so we routinely draft wills and trusts and estates uh, so that uh, we can do th- that planning ahead of time. So making what is normally a hard time to deal with a little less difficult. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and it's interesting. This um, this last round, in end of 2021, there was proposed legislation that would have um, – it, it, it didn't pass. Luckily, Congress couldn't get their act together. But they were trying to do away with or, or otherwise modify the stepped-up basis rules, which would be – one of the most significant tax changes we would probably see in our lifetimes. Um, Luckily it didn't happen. It still is potentially on the table during this administration. Um, And so it's something we're watching out for because it really does change. It changes a lot about how we advise our clients as lawyers and as tax advisors. And I know the um, financial advisors that we work with, uh, it would change quite a bit with them as well. Wow. And you guys probably have, I mean, you have your antenna up. You're in multiple fields here, kind of a cohesive unit, you're, you're probably one of the best, best bets for having some of the most up-to-date information, I'd imagine. I mean, uh, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's okay uh, to say it. uh, (laughs) I know as accountants, we're like bred into us that we have to be super conservative and not like go out and and beyond. Mike has done a good job of breaking that mold. I'm still definitely in that, but, um, uh, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, no so, worries. yeah, we, we definitely stay up to date. Um, we've, we've set up our business in a way that Chad and I have time built into our week to, to learn and to keep ourselves educated because our primary jobs are shifting from being hands-on practitioners to leading our firm. And, and we're getting to that. For any, any of your listeners who are business owners, you, you cross that point maybe around 8, 9, 10 employees where there's a, a level of leadership that's needed in your company 
that that maybe before you can kind of you know play dual roles, but now you know there's a, there's a reason when you get bigger you have to look a little bit more corporate and have a a structure an executive team, and so we're spending more of our time doing that, which which that puts the onus on us to really drive that thought leadership and and keep up to date because if we miss something that that's on us, that's not on our team, that's our fault. Yeah. Yeah, that's a I think a great way to look at it. And you know, as you're as you're growing a team or whatever, you've got um, you kind of have to become the navigator. You're you're leading this ship, and someone's got to point it in the right direction and make sure everyone knows how to pull what ropes to get the sails up. Exactly. Um, I think one of the most common things we get from potential clients is, you know, it's hard to get a hold of my account. I, I, you know, I contact them, or maybe I only meet with them, you know, once a year, or maybe twice a year, once at the end of the year, and then come, you know, the tax return filing. We've discovered that it's much more efficient and being proactive uh, by meeting throughout the year. And some people, most people with a W-2, maybe that's not required. Uh, but anyone that has business that has a business or you know heavily invested in real estate, their income is going to fluctuate from quarter to quarter. So we've basically told all our clients, we're going to meet with you quarterly. Um, you might not think that we need to right now, but as we meet, go forward, uh, we're going to recommend strategies, help you implement them. And then, of course, at the end of the day, you'll realize the cost and the tax savings. Well, I can there. say as one of your guys' clients and as probably not the most effective person at getting you all of my documentation, I know you guys, the, the whole team and everyone kept it very seamless and easy and made sure to reach out at the appropriate time. So I was prepping things throughout the year. So you guys do a fantastic job with that. And clap. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so I want to illustrate two examples um, of, of very common situations that come up during these meetings when we're reading with clients every quarter. Um, each of them, it's, they're kind of the opposite situation, but I've seen them time and time again. One is a situation where somebody sells a home and expects to, to pay a significant amount of tax. And, and so they come to us kind of just dreary and concerned and we look at the situation and, and we realize, well, how did you use this house? It was my, it was my home. I lived there for years. So then we're able to p- deliver great news, which is, you know, it's a principal residence. There's an exclusion um, up to $250,000 in gains is excluded. If you're, if you're single, if you're married, it's up to half a million dollars. That covers most situations. Again, real estate market's crazy. There's, mm-hmm. we, we still see where people pay tax. Um, the opposite happens, I would say, even more frequently. People get bad advice. Um, when you own a rental property, um, a lot of times people look at, okay, well, I bought it for this much. Maybe I, I made some improvements. I put a new roof on it. I put a new kitchen in. And then I sold it for, you know, only a little bit more several years later. Mm-hmm. Say, let's say they held it for 10 years. Um, so they don't expect to pay any tax. And they may not come to us when that sale happens because they have expectation as we're not going to pay any tax. Mm-hmm. But in reality, and so they're coming to us in April, right, after the year is complete. Um, in reality, as a rental property, you have what's called, you have depreciation expense. If, and, you know, your, your listeners are with rentals are familiar with this. Um, when you take depreciation expense against an asset, it reduces your cost basis or your kind of your investment value in the asset. And so when you sell it, you have to recapture that, meaning you have to recognize tax on on, and at a higher rate than the normal capital gain rate um, on the amount of depreciation you took. And so we've seen, um, we see it you know, a few times a year, I would say, where somebody doesn't expect to pay any tax on selling a rental um, and they don't plan for it. 
and they come in and there's really, there's not a lot we can do. There's some things we can do. We'll do all we can, but sometimes that's a 50,000, sometimes a hundred thousand dollar gain that they weren't expecting. And so, so that's rough. And so, so my advice is if you're contemplating a sale, um, even before you sell the property, don't wait until after the sale's over because you may have missed an opportunity. It's usually never, it's usually not too late to change anything while you're in the sales process, right? While you're under contract, you can still make modifications. That's the time to talk with your advisors. Um, that's the time to talk to, you know, usually start with your realtor, um, but also talk to your, maybe your lender. Uh, maybe you talk to your accountant or a lawyer, or just give us a call. Um, we, can, we can do a quick consult um, and help you understand if you have a problem, right? And, and if you don't, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna charge you and put you through rigmarole. We'll just tell you, hey, you're in good shape. Um, you can go forward with this transaction. Right. I, I love that. And that's why we like working with you guys. Um, very similar philosophies where people hire us for reasons. Um, and it's because the we live in a complicated world. There's a lot of things that you need to know and a lot of ways you can you can cut different things. And uh, having an advisor, I, I love that term. It's the best way to, to put it. Someone to advise you through the process. If you're if if things are looking good, we'll let you know, hey, keep going that route. But if there needs to be some sort of adjustment, um, you want to figure that out at the beginning stages. And, and that's why we, we purposely put in those touch points throughout the year. So every quarter we'll either meet or have a phone call or a Zoom chat where we'll, we'll talk through your situation. We'll ask questions, what's new in your world? Inevitably, something's going to have a tax consideration for it. They might not think about it. Um, but then also in between those quarterly meetings, we'll you know, we give them the freedom to reach out via email or phone call and be able to answer those quick questions that pop up um, that need an answer to, but maybe aren't super urgent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one one thing I wanted to circle back to a little bit more. We get this question all the time. People say, what's a 1031 exchange? I Googled that I'm going to sell my house. Every ad is popping up 1031 exchange. What is it? What do people need to know about it? Yeah, I'll, I'll take Go first ahead. half of time. Sorry, um, clean up for me because I'll probably miss something. But um, 1031 exchanges, it's basically a mechanism um, whereby you can defer gain recognition. When you have a any appreciated asset is normally you have to recognize gain or loss. Um, it does not get rid of the tax. It just defers it until you later have another transaction, sell the property, or something else happens that would trigger another consequence. Um, 1031 exchange is a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting concept and it really, uh, within tax, there are specialists. Um, so not, not every accountant even handles tax. And so even within tax, there's more specialists. 1031 is one of those code sections that has an entire industry and entire, um, companies are set up with the primary purpose of facilitating 1031 exchanges. Awesome. Exactly. And, and there's, it only applies to some properties. So you can't do a 1031 exchange or what's called a like-kind exchange with your personal residence. It has to be either a rental property or something held for investment. And you have to replace it with a property with, of similar usage. You can't 1031 into a personal residence that you're going to occupy. You have to do it into another rental, another investment property. Um, and like Mike said, you, you only defer the tax. You can't eliminate it completely. Uh, what's interesting and what I've seen over the last few years, and it's been in been out there but just not well known is that we have a lot of people coming to Arizona from California. California actually has a reporting requirement if you do a 1031 exchange from a California property to an out-of-state property so that 
even though you're deferring the tax, you have to file an annual report every year just to California. Even if you have, don't have to file your taxes there, there's one form you have to file saying, I still haven't sold my property next year. I still haven't sold my property. Mm. They're going to make you uh, keep filing it until you do sell it. And it might be a year, it might be 20 years, but at that point, California wants their piece of, of the pie at that point. So Incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of what I'm hearing is this stuff's, complicated short little podcast we're doing we're touching on a ton of topics this world is super broad i i feel like i mean you said it earlier talking to your advisors reaching out getting some questions answered there doesn't have to be much pressure or too much setup but whoever you trust whoever you think is the best best bet go with them talk to them ask some questions before you start making some of these some of these financial moves yeah and i would say um you know if you if you're not confident in your current advisor um, get a second opinion. Um, and that, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. People do that with medicine all the time. You should do the same thing because people have different experiences and, and may, you know, it's, it's a, a bit of an art. There's some science to it as well, but it's a bit of an art. And depending on your background, you may be aware of some particular way to structure things. Um, I would say with, with 1031 exchanges, um, Chad mentioned that the, the type of property has to be considered like kind. Um, several years ago, the IRS, loosened up those rules a bit so it used to ha- used to have to be you know a rental for a rental now you can do a little bit broader it can be any type of um, property held for investment purposes or for the production of income so that might mean you're speculating on a a lot down in you know southern arizona um, that you're holding for appreciation you're not planning to build on it or anything else um, you could technically like kind that into a, a commercial office condo or wow or a multifamily residential. There's lots of things you can do. And you can do some pretty complex estate planning with that as well. If someone has a broad real estate portfolio, they can continue to do 1031 exchanges until they pass away. And at that point, again, they're, uh, the people inheriting it will be able to inherit it and have a cost basis of whatever the fair market value is. So it's a way to exclude a lot of tax that would normally have to be paid throughout, the, throughout someone's life. Let me, let me say two things. One is a very basic thing, and one is a very advanced concept. Um, so depending on who's listening, pay attention to one or both. Um, one, one basic thing that people um, really need to be aware of is there's a very strict timeline on 10 1031 exchanges. And so if you miss your window, you're, you're out. You're going to have gain recognition, and you're going to have to pay tax. So critically important that a few weeks before you close on a property – if this is something you're considering, you need to sit down with what's called a qualified intermediary. Um, and, and if you, I don't know, Scott, if you have the ability to link it up in the show notes, we can uh, connect you to the, the company that we use. We've, we've really had um, great experience with them. Uh, advisor's name is Carmen DeFulvio. Um, they'll, they'll walk you through, and they actually have to, they're required by law, they have to facilitate the deal. And so you can't go to a normal escrow agent. You can't go to a CPA or a lawyer. It has to be somebody qualified as a qualified intermediary. And, and so the, the basic information, remember there's a timeline. You have 45 days uh, to identify a replacement property after you close. You have 180 days to replace the property. Um, so don't miss the timeline. Um, the advanced um, uh, kind of strategy is if you have somebody in a situation where they don't need the cash from the sale of a property, but they want to sell it, maybe it's a there's a lot of deferred maintenance. Maybe they're expecting the roof is going to go out um, or otherwise they just, they don't want the headache of managing a property anymore. Um, 
you know, if you're going to do a 1031 exchange, you have to replace it with a like kind asset, but that doesn't mean you have to go get into another asset that requires you to actively manage it. Um, there's, there's something called a Delaware statutory trust. Um, it, from the investor side, it basically feels like you're buying into a hedge fund or any, any investment, right? It's going to be extremely passive for you. Um, you're basically going to put your money in and, and forget about it, right? You'll get statements uh, regularly and you'll get um, 1099s, but you'll never have to do anything with managing the property. And so it's, it's one of the very few exceptions where you can actually, it qualifies as a 1031 exchange, but it, it almost feels like you're investing in the stock market. And so it's a, if you get with the right group, it can be a really great vehicle for someone who just doesn't want to deal with the headache of being a landlord anymore. That is one of the coolest things I've heard in a while. I like that. I mean, that is super, super creative. So <laughs> anyway, when people are buying houses, sometimes they'll, they're going to hear all sorts of things. One of the things you hear that's pretty common is that they're going to get some sort of tax benefit. I don't know if that's the right term for say the interest they're paying on their mortgage. Can you guys speak to that a little? Yeah, I think that's a common question that we get um, is, well, I bought a house. What, what are the what are the tax breaks? Um, and those can be a little bit measured. I wouldn't say it's going to be a windfall, but uh, normally you can take what's called the standard deduction, which is a certain dollar amount that the IRS lets you take depending on your marital status against your taxable income. You can take the standard amount, which is an indexed for inflation every year, or you can take what's called itemized deductions. Um, and depending on the year, if your itemized deductions are more than the standard deduction, then you can take that or, or vice versa. Um, so of those uh, itemized deductions, that's charitable giving, uh, state and local taxes, uh, and mortgage interest. To a lesser, uh, to a lesser extent, medical expenses. Um, but for a married person, it's about 24000 For a single individual, it's about $12,000 um, every year. And... Um, yeah, so you can you can take the itemized deductions if if they exceed the standard amount. Um, it's about three years ago, I guess it's four now. Tw- in starting in 2018, um, the state and local taxes, which include both property tax and state income tax, was capped at ten thousand. So, in most cases, not a huge deal for people that don't live on the coast. But as inflation is run, <laughs> running rampant now, it, it's becoming more of of an issue. Um, one thing that we do advise as a strategy is maybe maybe you won't every given year have more than twenty four or twenty five thousand dollars of those expenses. So we normally recommend one of those things where people could have flexibility is charitable giving. Is maybe you bunch or you double up what you would normally give in a, in a in a year, um, so that you know every other year you're either taking the standard or you're itemizing your deductions. And awesome. That, that's common. I would say um, along with the cap on the deduction for state and local taxes, um, the the overall standard deduction doubled. Um, And so what we see is frequently a normal middle-class family um, that does not give significant charitable contributions and has a market value home probably is going to take a standard deduction. So in in a lot more more cases now than we've seen in, you know, previously, people are not able to itemize deductions, which means there really is a limited benefit to being a homeowner if that's your particular situation. If you are a, a churchgoer who pays a tithe, a tithing, um, typically 10%, um, then you, or, or if you have a charity that you just give to regularly, that's, that's, as Chad said, that's when you have a lot more flexibility as to, you know, when you, when you can 
benefit not only from the standard deduction or the uh, standard deduction in the off years, but then you can basically double up and you'll get a full benefit for the mortgage interest and real estate and your charitable contributions in those years. Cool. Do you guys have any opinion on increased interest rates and increased home values? Do you think that might be enough this year with what we've seen to potentially start pushing people into that itemized category? I think for the new home purchasers, definitely will be a, more, a bigger consideration. For those of us that took advantage of the record low interest rates, it's going to be a less, uh, well, a bigger hurdle to, to overcome. But another point on that is that uh, the mortgage interest that you're allowed to deduct normally up through 2018 was a million dollar home. You could deduct a mortgage interest on that. Uh, starting in 2018 and actually going through 2025, it's only 750. So again, in Arizona, that wasn't a huge amount for, you know, the middle of the road home buyer, but now homes are reaching that amount. And so you could potentially even be limited on the mortgage interest you could deduct. One point about the standard deduction that Mike said that they doubled in 2025, they're actually scheduled to go back to where they were. So they're going to go back again. So starting in 2025, 2026, I think more and more people will be taking this taking itemized deductions at that point. Wow, really, really good to know. Not not stuff I feel like anyone knows that that, that changes <laughs> that quickly. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. But part of the, you know, we, we say that now, Congress can always strike a pen and change mm-hmm. it again. So we'll see, depending on who's in office, we may or may not see that fall off. We'll see. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, all the more reason to reach out, get your questions answered and, and make sure you have the best, most up-to-date advice. Cool. Exactly. Oh, and the the last question you had is when to seek out an advisor. I think two things. One of them is you get, get to a point where you're just not comfortable with the situation, or maybe you feel comfortable with X, maybe inputting your W-2, but maybe not everything else. I think that's a good barometer is, oh, I'm not exactly sure how I should treat this. The second one is any major life event. So you get married, you have a kid, you get divorced, you buy or sell a house. Those are major events that have tax implications. So those would be good times Mm -hmm. to reach out to an advisor. And I'll add to that. I I like bright line rules when we can put them in. Um, If you are a business owner or if you own real estate as an investment outside of your personal residence, even if you have one, one rental property, you should, you should work with an advisor because there's likely something that you you just don't know that either could provide an opportunity for you or potentially a pitfall. And so those those bright line rules, if you're a real estate investor or a business owner, even if it's just a, a side business where you're doing Etsy sales or something like that, washing cars on the side, there's normally something available that's going to more than cover the cost of, of the tax preparation fees. And it's going to, you know, potentially provide significant savings. And probably some safety too. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Next week? Let's do it every week. Yeah. All right. Awesome.